0: Broadcasting around the world 24 hours a day. This is Carers World Radio with Patricia Mitchell.
1: Hello and welcome to Carers World Radio for February 2010. Now, this month we'll be looking at the National Dementia Strategy, which was launched in February 2009 but has gone through significant delays in its implementation. And we ask can we afford to have any more delays on such a vital piece of social policy for dementia sufferers and carers? And given the extreme weather conditions in the United Kingdom this winter, we'll be finding out what you need to know about cold weather payments. What are they? How do they work out? Are you entitled to them? And how can you get them if you are? Plus, much, much more all on this month's Carers World Radio. We're travelling down to New Zealand. Now, a case was recently brought by nine families to a human rights pr- tribunal in New Zealand in which the Human Rights Commission made a landmark decision by ruling the government is required to begin carer payments for families with severely disabled adult children. And whilst the Solicitor General may decide to appeal this decision, there are many implications for what this may mean to carers in New Zealand. Now, this case has also raised the issue, is the government blatantly discriminating against carers? It raises a lot of issues, in fact. So on the line now, we have John Foreman, Executive Director of New Zealand Organisation for Rare Disorders. Uh, John, thanks so much for for joining us today. Um, I'm not quite sure whether I've got it right, whether there are nine or eight families uh, that brought this case um, because I've I've read different things on it. But roughly eight or nine families with adult uh, children with severe disabilities, either physically or intellectually, brought this case. Um, What happened and, and what was their main reason for doing so in the first place? If you can give us some background to it.
0: Right, yes, the, I, I don't know the exact number either, but there's a small number of families who were the plaintiffs in this case, um, mm-hmm. and I guess it could be regarded as something in a test case, uh, mm-hmm. and quite an important one as well. And the central issue was that they were caring for their um, adult children who had quite significant disabilities and were claiming that uh, the state would... Be obliged to pay for the care of those uh, children if they were not at home with their families, because they're adults and the families no longer had the caring duty, and and that the the government was breaching the Bill of Rights Act, which said that people could not be discriminated against on uh, grounds of family status. The Human Rights Review Tribunal agreed and said that the um, the actions of the Ministry of Health and um, the way in which they organise disability supports services and um, care for disabled people did breach the bill of rights act and um, it's a quite a significant case i think a, a a a great gain for carers
1: well absolutely because i mean presumably this whole issue i mean as i as i understand it the new zealand government is really very good at balancing their books for the most part i mean so so maybe they think this is a, a financial decision but when it comes up against uh, the human rights uh, implications what 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 do you see Um, going forward in terms of uh, uh, obviously the the, it is uh, the Minister of Health um, said that there may be an appeal against this but but I know that the appeal has to actually come from the Solicitor General Um, nothing is actually going to happen immediately obviously because these things take time but what do you see as being the implications uh, of this decision in its own right as it stands currently John?
0: Well, I think that the um, most lawyers would probably say that the decisions are specific to the case, and then you have to interpret what are the flow-on implications that might occur. The government yeah. has been very sensitive to this, and the Ministry of Health um, has immediately uh, assumed all sorts of flow-on effects and is keen for an appeal to take place. Yeah. Um, The Solicitor-General has a degree of independence and um, we are hoping that he may decide that the issues of principle here are so important that an appeal should not be taken. Now, if we look at the the general uh, provision about the right of governments to set budgets and make rationing decisions, um, they are inevitable in our society, particularly in areas of health and disability, because probably no government can afford to provide every service to every person all of the time. So rationing is a, a harsh reality that we all have to deal with. And governments have a, a role and a responsibility in that. But what I think is really interesting in this particular case is that the decisions on who would be paid and who would not be paid were not actually decisions taken at a government level, at least so far as I am aware, and, and mm-hmm. as far as I am from reading this case. It was decisions made by lower level policy people in the Ministry of Health and while they probably believe that they were carrying out their function appropriately and responsibly, I think what the decision from the Human Rights Review Tribunal says in effect is that they have got their priorities wrong and that they have contravened um, important legal duties. So we can look at the the duty that public servants have to work within the scope of the Public Finance Act and not spend money that they don't have available and to manage their budgets, but there are counterbalancing interests. There are human rights and there are moral and ethical concerns which always need to be um, on the agenda as well. So it, it like right. the, it, so it seems like
1: what so it seems like what they 've done is that they 've looked at it from their own narrow narrow kind of remit of what they are trying to achieve uh, within um, their in, within the ministry without taking on the broader perspective of the issues of governance for the whole country
0: yes i, I think that's um, uh, exactly what has happened, and I think that um, Here in New Zealand, there are a number of instances in other parts of the health and disability sector and in education for disabled people where there has been perhaps a tendency um, over the last few decades for the idea of um, economic rationalism and budget management to start overwhelming uh, issues of rights and ethics and duty. And I think this is an important counterbalancing decision uh, from the tribunal.
1: So, so, where do you see this might lead to? I mean from what you 're saying, I am getting the feeling that it might well be time for the government to start thinking about, if you like, you know a bill of rights for carers or a um, actually helping to define for the the workers within, in the separate ministries, what are the parameters that they have to be working in, um, in in terms of the, uh, the broader issues?
0: Yeah, well, I think that the first issue was the issue uh, directly addressed by this case, and that is in circumstances where the government does accept that it has responsibility for providing care uh, for people and, and funds that care, for them to not discriminate if that care happens to be provided by a family. It does not mean that families will be paid for every care responsibility that they have. Um, And it does not mean that parents will be paid for raising their children, etc. And I I guess that there is the potential for people who will say, oh, shock, horror, this is going to change the... The world and, and, and threaten our economy and all social relationships would be completely wrong because it is talking specifically about uh, adults for whom the parents no longer have um, legal responsibility to provide care for. That mm-hmm. duty of care rests clearly with uh, the state through the Ministry of Health and Disability Support Services. Um, but if Um, In some instances where the government agencies actually ask the family to take uh, the caring responsibility because they believe that the the uh, government-funded services are unable to appropriately care for some people with um, very high and very complex needs, uh, that they cannot discriminate against those families and say that we will not pay you even though you are taking a burden off us.
1: So this really is a discrimination issue as much as a sort of a rights issue. I mean, obviously, they, they go hand in hand. But, but John, yeah. given your role of, you know, uh, executive director um, uh, in New Zealand for, for, for the Organization for Rare Disorders, ideally, I mean... In terms of what is a best case scenario, how how might this play itself out in terms of enabling you to secure um, more of a secure standing for carers in the future. Yes.
0: Another role I have is uh, that I'm the chair of the New Zealand Carers Alliance, uh, which Uh is a network of uh, 45 not-for-profits that have been working with government and with government officials for several years now to improve uh, policy and legislation and services for people who are the unpaid carers, essentially that's family members who look after the sick, ill, disabled uh, or ageing family members. And um, so there has been a lot of discussion, and we have been in, in, we have been successful in getting a carer strategy which set out the sort of the high level principles. One of those was to for an exploration of payments to carers, um, and now there will be an awful lot of policy work involved in that. Um, but we think that this is going to help get that agenda uh, that item squarely on the agenda. And uh, we hope that um, it will trigger an assessment which will mean the government will explore more closely uh, circumstances where it uh, ought to be supporting in a number of ways, but especially in cash payments to those people who are caring uh, for their family member.
1: Um, we, we have actually had Laurie Halesgen on, on the programme before, um, who's obviously also part of Carers New Zealand, and I know that you guys are working really, really hard to get um, carers' issues on the agenda for the government and, and uh, for, for, for the whole of New Zealand. So it's just, I must admit, when I saw this case, I thought this is this is great because it does, if nothing else, start the debate, and the issues being obviously the rights of these eight or nine families, which isn't a, a huge amount, but still important, because it does set just by virtue of the fact that the Human Rights Tribunal has come back and said, no, 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 this is, the government is not correct in how this has been handled, must be a great um, asset for you to go forward.
0: Well, it is very satisfying because the, 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 the very difficult economic situation that exists right around the world is clearly impacting here in New Zealand and after the development of the care strategy a couple of years ago where we thought right this is this is setting the high level framework and all the fine words about how government values carers and intends to uh, improve its support and enable them to have a break and, uh, and so on um, the economic uh, situation meant that uh, government uh, stopped at the point of providing the fine words and, and the principles. That we yes. haven't yet seen anything which is significant uh, practical support uh, being translated out of the out of the vision and the care strategy. And this has come almost out of left field, I think, to um, you know possibly to shake things up a bit and hope. We hope that it will be um, uh, something that has a significant influence and will lead to more detailed consideration of this whole area.
1: Well, we'll be we'll be watching you with interest, and Laurie, and the whole whole of Carers New Zealand, um, and and obviously again, you know, uh, interesting to see how from the grassroots level, it's the you know the families bringing the case that raise the issue that help do not you know that that that, that it's team efforts, it's it's organisations such as yours and it's the families themselves that suddenly say you know we've had enough of this really it's not it's not right so it's great to see that 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 that. Um, dynamic uh, operating and john thank you so much for joining us today uh, we should also say for the sake of the government we have tried to contact tony roll who's minister of health for new zealand we haven't been able to make contact it's not a question that they refuse to come on the program we just haven't actually in the time that we've been available been able to make contact so we should say that in all fairness to the uh, minister of health um, uh, for new zealand but john thanks so much for talking to us we hope to have you back on the program sometime soon
0: You're very welcome. And if I could just add in um, an acknowledgement of the tremendous work that Laurie Hillstrom does, um, because she has been the key driver and the powerhouse of energy to make a whole lot of progress on care issues over um, many, many years here in New Zealand. And we would not have made half the progress that we have uh, without her determined efforts.
1: Thank you both, though, uh, for all the great work you do. And thanks for joining us today. Well, bringing ourselves back to the UK for a moment. Now, just how cold have you been feeling the last few weeks? Do you think it's been cold enough to receive a cold-weather payment? And if so, how would you go about getting it? Well, all these questions and more we hope to answer for you with the help of Marie zeeley from Surrey Welfare Rights Unit. I tell you what, it's been very, very cold, but has it been that cold? I mean, what is this uh, cold-weather payment scheme? Well, for most of the
2: UK, it has been that cold, to trigger cold weather payments for um, some areas of um, the UK, whole years can go by where payments aren't triggered. But the cold weather payments for most areas, um, I think people can expect to receive at least one payment if they meet the criteria for eligibility.
1: Right. So explain that to us. You said you said quite a few things in there. First of all, triggered. And you've also said the criteria for eligibility. So let's just talk about who is eligible and how they would get it, because obviously, you know, there might be some people that think they get it, but they don't know. They don't know how to go about getting it. Uh, But but how do you become eligible for this payment?
2: Well, I think the first thing to clear up is that cold weather payments are completely different from winter fuel payments. Right. They sound very similar. Um, winter fuel payments is the one-off um, payment that people over 60 receive um, in the UK. And you usually receive that sometime after September, before the winter. Cold weather payments are completely different. They are not dependent upon age, although they can only be paid to adults, of course. And they are paid to people who are on low incomes to help them out with extraordinary high fuel bills that they could experience when we have a very, very
1: cold snap. Right. So, Maria, how how does one become entitled? I mean, you said the word triggered, which is which I thought was interesting because actually a lot of people may think that they have to go about Make, uh, some sort of process in order to receive these cold weather payments, but the word trigger is, is actually fundamental to the system, isn't it?
2: Well, hopefully, as with, <laughs> with, with the winter fuel payments, um, the payments will be triggered automatically from um, the Department of Work and Pensions. So if you are of pension age, that would be the pension service, and if you're of what's called now working age, um, then that would be Job Centre Plus. And the right. So, what?
1: Yeah, I was going to say what, what? What? So, if you're on, if as I understand it, the benefits that you need to be receiving in order to get the cold weather payments are obviously the pension. If you're getting a pension,
2: no, it's actually pension credit.
1: Pension so, credit. Right. Yeah. I've got that on my notes, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know the it's difference. pension
2: credit, which is paid to um, people of pension age who may have retired with um, a relatively low. Um, pension income so pension credit which is what we call a means tested benefit and then for um, working age people on low incomes, we're talking about people who are in receipt of income support in particular circumstances Um, job seekers allowance means tested variety and also um, means tested employment and support allowance but even then it's not all of those claimants there is then some weeding out that goes on and within those groups of means tested benefits it's only going to be paid to people who get either a disability element um or a pensioner element as part of those payments
1: and i do und- yes but there there is also a child disability if you're getting child disability premium is that correct which may be relevant for our for our listeners yes. if they're on a uh, yes. uh, job seeker's allowance right okay or if they have we children under are? five
2: Yeah, we've been asked, do carers get a cold-weather payment? Now, carers per se do not. Carer's allowance is not a trigger for the cold-weather payment. Right. But if you are a carer and you're on one of those means-tested benefits, pension credit, income support, job seekers allowance, um, employment and support allowance, um, if you get a disability element or a pensioner element or a disabled child element, or in fact if you are just responsible for a child under five, that's also one of the triggers
1: that's and one of the triggers, get right
2: The weekly payment, and it's twenty five pounds. It always used to be much lower, about eight pound fifty, and it went up last year, and the government has maintained it at twenty five pounds for this year as well.
1: right, so it's twenty five pounds which will make a huge difference in terms of how you heat your home now, absolutely. The- if there is now, uh, let me, just so people know actually how this works, because I was actually quite fascinated by it. Because people say, "What might say? Well, how does it automatically get triggered? How do people know whether I'm in an area, or you know, people living in London, it's going to be very different to somebody living up in sort of the Yorkshire Moors, for example." Yeah. So, so yeah. There, there's a regional element to this. There isn't. Uh, there's uh, there's obviously a point at which some people may be getting it, and it's because it's been judged to be more cold in one area than than another. How does that? get worked
2: out? There are hundreds of designated weather stations now um, the patch where I work is the the county of Surrey um, to give you some idea of how this works in Surrey um, residents within this county will be dependent upon four different weather stations sending in information to the Department of Work and Pensions and on average what you're looking for is over the course of a seven-day period You're looking for the average daytime temperature to be below freezing, so to be below 0 degrees Celsius. So it is possible that within a relatively small geographical area, some people will get a cold weather payment and some people won't. Um, but it is
1: that kind of sophisticated, if you like, in terms of how this is being done. So these weather stations are, are inputting the information to the Department of Work and Pensions, yeah. and then it get their payment gets triggered if they are in those those entitlement groups. That is exactly what- right. Maria, what happens if you think you should be entitled to it? And, you know, we go back to the sort of the postcode lottery type situation where you're sort of thinking, surely I'm eligible, but I'm, I don't seem to be getting these payments coming through.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there will be a handful of people for whom that applies. Well, if you are under pension age, then you should contact your local Job Centre Plus. You could either um, go into the office and make an inquiry, if you have access to the internet or if you can get to a library where there is the internet, then there is a national 0800 number um, for Centre Plus. Um, if you are of pension age and you think you've missed out on a payment and you would receive this payment in addition to your winter fuel payment that you received in autumn, um, then that would be the pension service um, 0845 number. Again, it's easy to get it through the internet, but it will also be in the local phone book. Right. And also be at the top of any letters that you've received regarding your pension credit.
1: So it would be good to to work out first whether you do fall into those categories of entitlement, whether it be pension credit, because I mistakenly thought it was just pension, but pension credit, uh, income support, and then those entitlement groups within that, income-based job seekers allowance, and so forth. So it's worth checking that out first to see whether you are entitled. And then, if you're not getting this and you think you should, and then checking out whether it might be to do with the way in which you're um, you're actually being your postcode and, and the weather stations, but presumably there's only going to be a handful of people that really are going to fall foul of that weather station um, possible discrepancy.
2: I would think it was it's more likely that people would miss out because they're not actually claiming the benefits that they should be entitled to. Right.
1: And right. Obviously,
2: if you get a, if you claim a benefit and it's awarded over a backdated period, um, which covers a cold weather payment week as well then you should also receive that cold weather payment. So that's worth checking. If you're just intrigued by the whole idea <laughs> of how many weeks, because it's felt like quite a number of weeks we've been living here below freezing.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: again, if you do have access to the internet, or if you can get to your local library, then via the, um, the national government website, which is www.directgov.uk, um, then if you get, get onto that and in the search box put in cold weather payments, it then takes you to a link. And what you do very simply is put in your postcode. And your postcode um, via that link, it will tell you whether you're entitled to a cold weather payment and also how many. And certainly in Surrey, there are some postcodes in this county that can expect three cold weather payments. So that's £75 towards your full fuel bill.
1: Well I have to say I know that we are going to put that uh, link on our website for our listeners and I'm, I'm actually really intrigued now I want to put my postcode in there I know I'm not entitled <laughs> I want to do it I want to see how this system works. Uh, Maria Zili from Surrey Welfare Rights Unit thank you so much for joining us today this has really cleared this up and made it so much easier to understand exactly who and who isn't entitled to the world, uh, cold weather payments, but also how it functions it's always nice to know how it works behind the So, Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. And I suppose the the thing I have to say is just keep warm.
0: This is Carers World
1: Radio. And now, you may remember we covered the launch of the National Dementia Strategy here on Carers World Radio early in 2009. Now, at that time, there were high hopes and aspirations for meeting the needs of dementia sufferers and their carers. However... A recent report from the National Audit Offices shows a history of delay in the implementation of the policy. Well, on the line to tell us more about this and why no more time can be wasted implementing this very important strategy, we have Anna Passingham, Senior Policy and Communications Officer at Council and Care. Anna, it's lovely to have you on the programme again. I'm sorry it's for reasons such as this, because... We were all full of hope back in um, February 2009 with regard to the Dementia Strategy. Um,
3: What's happened? Well, absolutely we all were full of hope and um, we certainly, um, Counseling Care recognised at the time the fact that the strategy has a five-year plan which really, you know, if fully implemented with the resources that it deserves can actually um, transform Dementia Care and obviously with that the lived experiences of older people with dementia and their families and carers. Um, so obviously there's issues here in delays um, which shouldn't be happening, and obviously um, we've seen um, together with the, the um, audit office find, findings, the results from a Department of health review by CB Banerjee um, that highlighted the excessive and unnecessary use of antipsychotic medication, so it does... Highlight the level of urgent action that's needed by government um, to implement the really, really um, ambitious proposals in the strategy.
1: Well, exactly, because it's not like we're in a situation where it would be in inverted commas nice to get all of these things done. We are in a situation where dementia sufferers are not being treated, as this report suggests. Where, like you said, I think it's is it over a hundred and fifty thousand older people are being over medicated. Um, that exactly. there's a there's an urgent need for more training, more understanding, um, more statementing, more advice for older people, and of course. Their carers. Um, now, when we spoke to Phil Hope, who MP Minister of State for Care Services at the Department of Health, back at the beginning of last year, we were told that yes, this was an ambitious strategy, but there was money backing it up. There was um, uh, intent behind it. 150 million over two years was what we ha- we've heard for the first two years of the five-year policy. Um, Anna, what do you think? actually happened was it overly ambitious or do you think it's just just other things that are in the way of this policy being implemented
3: well obviously i think there's you know there's issues about the fact it's still in the first year of the strategy and we you know we yet to see how things will play out um but i think it's really that um the, the key thing is is keeping it on the agenda and right. really starting to um, release some of these to actually deal with some of these key um proposals such as sustainable for public promotion of early diagnosis which would be really important and, and also the access to support from a dementia care advisor, um which things that are, well, could actually relatively quickly ensure that real change is felt by the public and you know um an impact for older people using services as well.
1: I mean I would have thought that 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 that, that I mean those don't I mean listen I haven't I have never sat in government I'm a journalist and I ask the questions but public promotion of of the issues around dementia support and care for dementia care um in terms of of getting the support out there and information out there is it that difficult to do when you've got over 150 million over two years or is this a little bit of just not being quite sure how to go about doing this because the thing that bothers me about this is that there was there was there was loud applause when this strategy was um, first um, put onto the agenda and said to be you know this is what we're going to do. Uh, everyone was everyone took the accolades for this. Um, what has anything been happening, Anna? I mean, what's actually been happening? Has has any of this been filtering through to the people who who need it, or are they still um, trying to work out how they go about doing this?
3: Well I think that's the thing. I mean through our advice service we haven't seen any kind of impact directly um in terms of um better understanding and better support for information and advice for older people. So we if if things have been happening, they haven't been felt felt at ground level yet, um I think Clarification on things like the role of the dementia care advisor is the the, the key way to go to support older people, um, yes. and you know early promotion as well. And those are things that can be done. And we haven't felt those those changes yet. Um, and certainly, across the board, um, the, the strategy should work together best together with other existing um, policy agendas, such as the personalisation agenda. You know, the, the they're highlighting the fact that there's 150,000 older people who. Um, are currently still receiving antipsychotic medication when they, they shouldn't be um that they're not receiving personalized care they're not f- receiving care that's focused on their individual needs so it may be that using you know, working working on um you know, the strategy um pushing it as a national priority together with other uh, policy agendas will be the way to go to really start to um to put some levers in place i think yes. i think it's obviously in, in, on paper it looks absolutely fantastic and you know and care would agree with all the key priorities um but making it a national priority for example, um, by including it in NHS operating frameworks that primary care trusts have to adhere to, would mean that they when they people are setting you know uh, public authorities are setting their very limited, you know, much more limited budgets to come, they will be putting it as a priority and they'll be recognising the, the vital um, need um for that must be met in their area for older people with dementia. And I mean they because they the-
1: This is something that, I mean, really nobody can hide from the level of problems that uh, are not well-implemented Implemented dementia strategy is going to cause, given our aging population given given the understanding that we now have about dementia, um, given that there are things that can be done that can really help this isn't this isn 't a question of oh well you know if we don 't look at it it 's not going to go away. the problem's only going to get bigger so 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 Anna, what do you think is the way forward because I know that Stephen Burke, who is chief executive of council and care, has said that you know it is an ambitious um, strategy. It's asked for wholesale change, but really we need to en- we do need to ensure that it gets done. I mean, it's it, we can't just dismiss it just because it was ambitious and maybe we can sort of let it go. These things do need to be done. So, so what what are the next steps? Do you think in terms of making sure that, given the National Audit Office findings, the Department of Health can be called to account on this
3: and start moving forward? Well, exactly. So, taking some, take, recognizing some of the actions, like like putting, making it a higher national priority putting the levers in place in the system to ensure that you know um, public authorities can't duck away from this, and that if the funding is there, it gets to it gets to and it's really felt on the ground by people that need it. Um, but rather than being kind of absorbed in all the other priorities that are going on, it's really highlighted as one of the key priorities, um, and then also. For charities such as Counselling Care, we recognise our role in highlighting it and pushing it forward, and showing the need for it as well, and and um, you know rec- making sure that we are aware of the need to you know support older people with dementia and um, give them the correct advice and um, information advocacy when it's needed for them as well. So we know what we can do as well to highlight this and um, you know, make sure it's a key issue that stays on the agenda and it's included as well in parties and manifestos ahead of the election
1: yes Definitely, because it's, you know, it's one of it, it is an issue that isn't going to go away, as we've said. And I have to say, you know, when we had Phil Hope on the program, he was incredibly enthusiastic. And I actually had a quiet chat with him afterwards, and found him to be totally, totally emotionally committed uh, to the, the National Dementia Strategy. So I'm I'm just hoping that it is more a question of implementation getting in the way rather than any commitment behind it. Um but uh, we will be following this, and 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 is it not slightly embarrassing, do you think, for the government, though, um, Anna? I mean, obviously, your council and care, but but that the National Audit Office has published those findings. Those were the findings that were published on the 14th of January this year, that mm-hmm. showed that there were delays this early in the game. I mean, it worries me. I think, oh gosh, it doesn't bode very well if 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 they're saying that, and it's not even been a year yet, and there's been delays.
3: Exactly, and certainly, it is worrying if there's going to be further delays, and this will impact on the the usefulness that you know that can be made of the funding that has gone with that for the first year. So we want it to um, every, every bit of money that's been put towards the strategy has to be used um, in you know the most appropriate way and used really efficiently as well. Um, and we, you know, obviously have concerns about these delays and just want to see that. Um, The fact that the Audit Office has highlighted this may mean that there's a real push and we hope that 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 will be the case, um, that it will be taken up as the national priority that it deserves and that older people um, with dementia and their carers will benefit as they should do because, as I said, the strategy is very ambitious and it has the the real potential to initiate wholesale change for the better, but it needs to be put in place and there shouldn't be any more delays.
1: No, absolutely. Well, Anna, we're going to have a watch sticker on this one. We would love to have you back on the programme in a few months time and uh, and see what's happening and just gauge the temperature, if you like, in terms of of where this might have moved along to. Uh, But thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to know that you're on the case and uh, we look forward to talking to you again at some time in the future. Well, that wraps it up from us for our program this month. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to go to our website at www.carersworldradio.com to take part in our surveys, listen to our programs and much, much more. You can also email us at production at or fill in our contact form on our contacts page. So until next month, goodbye.